whether you're far away from the Northern Rivers and you know people here or whether you're here, I think it's just important to make sure that everybody is supported. There's things people can do from afar and there's things people can do who are he- uh, that are here and just making sure that you're there for everyone around you because it's definitely a very tough time and people have a lot of emotional stress on them. So. Yeah, check on your mates and check on everyone and just be there for people. Today on Dirty Linen, we are sticking up around the Northern Rivers, Northern New South Wales and Pippet's Girl Gang. We're chatting today to Saffron Brun-Smiths. She is the head chef at La Cazita at Brunswick Heads, but she worked with Ben Devlin, who's chef at Pippet and chef and owner at Pippet for three years when he was at Paper Daisy. Uh, Saffron, welcome to Dirty Linen. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, yeah, people who haven't caught up with the first podcast in this series with Lily um, may not know that I'm sticking up around uh, around a group of people, a group of women that work in and around Pippet or have a connection to that restaurant. And, yeah, we've they had this planned for weeks and weeks and weeks, but in the meantime there's been you know, the devastating floods in northern New South Wales and Queensland. So we've got even more to talk about. Saffron, how are things there at the moment? Um, it's pretty it's pretty dire, to be honest. Uh, there's definitely, I mean, it's completely different this time, well, a little bit longer than this time last week. Everything was more or less normal and everybody just thought there was going to be a bit of rain. And now it's it's quite devastating. People are throwing out their entire lives um, just because so much water has gotten through everything and everything has to be reconstructed. But there's just been so much help from the community, which is so lovely to see. Um, so people are slowly getting back on their feet, but it's definitely going to take a while. Yeah. I mean, it's like the images and the stories out of the region are just, frankly, so shocking and almost unbelievable. I think the last image that I saw was a washing machine that was caught in some power lines that were, you know, way up above the, the ground. I mean, it's just to think about what's happened, uh, it's, it's yeah, so shocking and so devastating. Yeah, just the sheer volume of water is just like, it's, it's almost unfathomable. You can't even begin to imagine, like, I know, for example, Lismore went two metres over their, like, previous record, which is just, it's not even like a little bit over, it's just... It's enormous, but yeah. What's been the impact on you personally? Um, well, personally for myself, like in terms of where I live and those kinds of things, I was quite lucky and very fortunate to not be directly impacted by the flooding. But in terms of like um, the businesses I work with, like La Cacita, we didn't. it wasn't too bad, but we definitely did get water in our restaurant and had to do a few maintenance things and tidy it up. Um, so personally, the impact for me, I feel like I got away very, very well with it. But in saying that, just because I got away with it, like everyone around me is experiencing it. So there's definitely that impact and just trying to help all my friends and family kind of get back on their feet is definitely, um, yeah, it's a lot. It almost feels like, yeah, I don't know, you just kind of try to do everything you can to help them, but it's devastating to see it. Mm. And what kinds of things can you do to help people who've been badly impacted? Um, I guess the first thing is just to be there for them and make sure that they know that you're there to help them in any way you can. Like 
So I don't know, there's a few, there's so many different ways you can help out. I think it's always good to make sure that everyone around you knows that you're there for emotional support to start with. Um, But also just getting in there, getting your hands dirty, just trying to help clean up, like ripping out pretty much every single thing in some of my friends' houses. Like we've just gutted places and we're cooking food for people who need it. But there's just, there's just, there's so much help from so many people, but it's still just not enough. Like it's going to take ages before they get back to how it was. So, yeah. Mm. And is that, you know, have you grown up around the Northern Rivers, Saffron? Yeah, I've grown up around the Northern Rivers. I've been here for probably about 17 years now. So I'm definitely a local to the place. Um, Yeah, so it's devastating because, I mean, we've had so many different floods and as a kid when we had floods I used to think it was the greatest thing ever and I used to run through all the water, which is probably extremely irresponsible of me, but... um, I used to think floods were the funnest thing ever because I'd get a day off school and stuff like that. But I guess we never experienced any kind of flood like this one. Yeah, climate change is uh, an interesting yeah. interesting <laughs> phenomenon that we all are coping with in different ways. But it's um, you just think, you know, I guess a lot of people thought a couple of years ago with the bushfires that, you know, this was going to be the catalyst and we're going to see some real action on climate change in Australia. And then, you know, it's like, well, surely now it's got to be the floods, it's got to be some real action on climate change. Um, but, yeah, at least we get to vote in a couple of months. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, that will be nice. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk food. Uh, so you're the head chef at a, at a Mexican restaurant. and I'd love to know how you got into cooking. Was it always a passion of yours? And, and yeah, tell us tell us the journey that's taken you to La Casita. Yeah, okay. Um, so I guess I've always loved cooking. My Part of my family is Italian, so I was always around my nonna when I was young. She's always cooking me up feasts that I'd pass out on the couch afterwards because I felt like I couldn't move anymore. Um, so she definitely fueled it a bit. And then I kind of – I just got into cooking. I decided that school wasn't really – what I wanted to do at the time. So I decided to go start my apprenticeship and worked at Paper Daisy with Ben for a good few years um, and really, like, threw myself into the deep end from what, like, I knew. Um, I used to work in a little takeaway shop and work my 12 hours a week and think I had it tough. Um, But then, yeah, so I worked with Ben for about three years and it was an awesome opportunity, like, to pick his brain is one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had. And I definitely picked his brain as much as I could, always nagging him and asking him just ridiculous questions of everything and anything. Um, and then when Ben was leaving Paper Daisy, I decided to do the same thing just to mix things up and find somebody else, uh, somewhere else rather, to go to. Um, and then I came down to La Casita just to kind of work there, different experience and learn a completely different cuisine. It was pretty funny kind of when I started La Casita, I remember going in like the first week and I went in there and they're like, oh, you know, you you can wash the coriander for us. And I saw like 20 bunches of coriander and I just looked at it and I was like, oh, my God, who eats this much coriander? This is ridiculous. (laughs) And was like, I reckon I can skip the coriander on most of my meals, but Definitely um, got over that one pretty quickly. So I definitely do like coriander now. But, um, yeah, it's just completely different food, completely different ways of cooking, just something, a new challenge, I guess. Um, 
Yeah, and then I've worked. I worked. I started working there as just a chef to party, and then kind of decided that I've thrown myself in the deep end again because I do love a little bit of being out of my comfort zone. So I thought it'd be a good idea to see how I go being the head chef there. Um, and Josh and Astrid took that chance on me, which I'm very grateful for. And yeah, now I've been there for about about three years and. Yeah, it's an awesome experience and so fun to just learn so many different skills that I didn't have um, in the kitchen and, yeah, yeah. How old were you when you took on the head chef role? Uh, great question. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say I was uh, – I'm 22 now, so I was 18 or 19. I'd say about 19. That is super brave. I mean, it's it's so – it's so interesting, you know, thinking about you as a 16-year-old thinking, okay, school's not it, maybe it's kitchens, and then just really throwing yourself in. And I just have to ask, like, what are some of the things that you <laughs> annoyed Ben by asking? Like, what was it just, were you, was there an intense curiosity? Was it about, um, you know, learning new things and skilling up? Was it, was it restaurants that you loved? I mean, what was it that really drew you in? Honestly, I have no idea. Um I don't know. I just, I kind of just got on this little tangent at one point and decided like I was in TAFE doing a little bit of chefing and I was like, oh, I don't really want to be like, like props to everybody who does different things. But I was like, I don't really want to work in a pub and I don't want to work in a cafe. I'd love to like learn some really out there, like just unique kind of cooking. And I think that Ben, Ben's just like uh, just the way that he cooks and the things that come out of his brain are just like it's completely different. I've never met anyone like it. And I don't know, I, I met him and when I first started, I was like, oh, this is a fun, fancy restaurant to work in and didn't really think much like, I don't know, I didn't think I'd learn what I did learn and just getting to know Ben more. I don't know, I think we just established a really good relationship and I just like – I will just ask a hundred million questions and sometimes I'll be asking away these random questions and like just answering for them for myself as I ask them and you just look at me and be like, mm-hmm, okay. <laughs> so just <answer laughs> that one. <laughs> and- Can you remember something that he did like put in front of you or that you saw him do that, you know, something, a dish or a bit of produce that you were just like, wow, that that's really blown me away? Um. Oh, God. I think – some of like his methods of cooking, like I, I was really intrigued by the ways that he used to um, wrap a lot of uh, proteins and different kinds of produce in like whether it was a salt dough or it was paper bark or it was wrapping it in fig leaves and like just different approaches to how you traditionally cook something like baking them in almost natural material which would mimic – sometimes like baking under the ground if you're going to wrap it in like an ash and salt dough um and then all the different herbs and like leaves that you could add to it and just how those methods of cooking can produce what they do produce like I remember we did a dish once that was a um it was a chicken breast that we wrapped in fig leaves and then wrapped in an ash dough and I reckon it's probably one of my favorite things it was the most challenging thing to cook perfectly, but it was just one of the most amazing flavors that you'd ever tasted. Like so different. Everybody goes like, oh, it's chicken. But I was like, it is not just chicken. And like, I don't know, I think just having the the drive to 
always produced like the best of it that you could and it was like you had to pay a lot of attention to this dish otherwise you could easily like ruin it and I don't know I just think some of the methods that he'd come up with they might not be traditional but they almost they're all based on traditional principles and like just using what he has to achieve those results. Mm. I find it so interesting that you you had, you know, such a strong mentor relationship and then you so quickly took on a head chef role where, you know, you're the leader and I just wonder, you know, and it's a different cuisine. Um, I would, I just wonder like, where do you then look to continue to learn and grow in your current role? Um, oh God, who knows? There's so many different, I guess, um, paths that I can choose. I think, I think there's definitely so much growing that I can do in my current role. I think I would definitely like to expand my knowledge on traditional Mexican cooking because as much as I know what I'm cooking, I've never been to Mexico and I've never experienced that. And I think just being able to, um, I don't know, engage in the culture. Like obviously when I started, I was going to go to Mexico and then COVID happened and then we're three years down the track and we can travel again. But I think being able to, yeah, just immerse myself in their culture for a while and learn, you know, I want to be in like the back of someone's kitchen and they're cooking a big family dinner and just learning all those things that people remember from their childhoods and things like that that you just don't find in cookbooks and on the internet sort of thing. So I think that, yeah, trying to really get back to the roots of Mexican cooking, it would definitely involve a bit of travel. Um, which I'd be keen for, but I think that that's like, yeah, do that so I can kind of come back and then present, like show kind of what I've learned would be fun. So we're sort of building this little mini series of podcasts around the Pippet Girl Gang booklet and event. Um, Can you talk about the um, the Pippet Girl Gang, uh, what it is, how you came to be part of it and what it's been like? Yeah, so, oh, well, the Pippet Girl Gang was, it was a little pop-up that we did at Pippet. Um, We did a one-night pop-up and it was just a bunch of us girls. So it was myself, Emma, um, Jude and Lily. And, yeah, we kind of, Yen flicked me an email one day and said, you know, we're going to do this pop-up kind of to, uh, what's the word? Yeah, just to show a bit of female, um, not power, but a few females in the industry who are very driven and strong-headed and they wanted us to kind of just take over in a way and show kind of how we work and what we do. So for me, it was actually my first pop-up, which was very exciting and very nerve-wracking at the same time. Um and, yeah, it was just such a nice opportunity to work with other females in the industry because, I mean, for myself, I'm very used to being around boys. I have four brothers, so it's nothing out of the ordinary for me. But I have only worked, like, properly with two female chefs in the whole time I've been in the industry. So for me to have four females in the kitchen at one time was, like, I've never done it before. I was almost like, oh, my God. <laughs> There's so many of us. So it was a really nice opportunity to kind of show that there are female chefs and who are very talented and they're out there doing amazing things because I think that people often, I mean, it's pretty obvious that it's quite a male-dominant industry. So it's nice to 
I don't know, group up with a bunch of females and produce a little night and have some fun and produce some dishes. And, yeah, it was kind of, I don't know, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's. do you feel like there is a way to go for women in the industry? Because it seems like, you know, you're really young, you're, you're a head chef, you've had this, you know, skyrocketing career in, you know, a few short years. I mean, have you ever found it an impediment being a woman? Have you found people's attitudes with you as a young head chef, you know, perhaps a little bit dismissive, um, you know, or do you think the industry has, yeah, worked worked fine for you as a woman? Um, I think for myself, I definitely think that there's been challenges. I always used to struggle with the fact that, like, even when I was at Paper Daisy, not like there were plenty of amazing chefs that I worked with that I worked really well with, but I think that, it's this instant, um, I don't know, people have this instant expectation almost that like as soon as they walk into a kitchen, they see me and somebody, when I was so young, I mean, in, when I was in Paper Daisy, I was like 17. I had two pigtails because my hair was so short. I probably looked about 12 and I'm in the kitchen trying to boss a new person around and tell them what to do. And they're like a 35 year old male who's been in the industry for 15 years. And I don't know, I think I, copped a little bit of like okay like I'll listen to you but chances are I know a lot more than you which I used to struggle with but in saying that like it's something that I recognize and I'll just like I'm pretty straightforward in saying what I think so I would just cut it down now and I just like if people think for a second that because of my age or whatever that I they are superior to me in any way or like they know better than I do. I'm happy for somebody to challenge my opinion, but if you're kind of going to be disrespectful, I'm just not going to have it. Like, (laughs) I think, yeah, I think that people easily just assume that because I'm young, I might know less or something like that. But I think that's like, it doesn't matter if you're a female or a male in that circumstances. Um, I think it's kind of just like a bad old mentality. That's, it is definitely growing out, but it's still there a little bit. But what do you think it is that gives you the, because you've got to have a real, you know, presence of mind to notice what's happening and then deal with it in the moment. I mean, I'm a genius at comebacks like the next day. Um, But (laughs) what do you think it is in you that um, allows, you know, gives you that ability to respond in the moment? I'm probably just a bit feisty, to be honest. Um, I don't know. Like in saying that, I think it's been um, a big learning experience. I definitely feel like when I decided to become a head chef, my um, my management of people was like horrendous to start with. I didn't ever have good comebacks and I'd just get a bit sassy and like definitely not the right way to manage. And I think it's just from experience and learning and recognising where you need to improve in your skills and just really making a conscious effort to work on yourself to make sure that, you know, you're looking after your team in the right way and everybody's kind of getting the, the guidance that they need. And, yeah, I think I definitely don't think it's something I've always been good at. I'd probably say it's something that I struggled with the most. But in saying that, like, like everything it's just another skill that you learn along the way and I definitely want to improve it for myself as well but I definitely think I've come a long way from where I started. Mm. I mean I think it's even impressive that you know that it's something you want to improve on because I think you know the 
the traditional management, you know, very top-down management style in hospitality, you know, old-school style is, hasn't been very, very reflective, let's say. It wasn't, wouldn't be the thing that people pointed to as a quality, you know, that was, that was incredibly evident in some people. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, but I think, like, there's this kind of um, the stereotype of the old, like, mainstream. Some say it's, like, the original, like, European way of teaching and how you you have a boss and that boss kind of you have to do what they say because they're the boss sort of thing, which is true. But, like, I don't ever want to consider myself a boss. I'd prefer to be a leader and I would prefer to lead by example and, like, I don't know, some people are always talk about how angry chefs are and how you'd never be friends with your boss and stuff. But I feel like keeping a good relationship with everyone you work with, it just makes them, like, respect you more and you get such better quality work out of people to not have, a, like, aggression for a start. And, yeah, I just think it's really important to keep a good relationship and that way it's easier to manage people as well. So I don't know, that's kind of my tactic. <laughs> mm, yeah. Love it. Well, I feel like as a reflective person, you are also going to have some really interesting things to say about work-life balance, which also has been something that hospitality hasn't been renowned for. So I'd love to know what you do outside of work and, yeah, how you keep yourself fresh for, uh, yeah, for the restaurant. Yeah. Um, my work-life balance is definitely an interesting one. I think it could, I don't know. So for, for a start, I've been very fortunate to work at La Casita where we work a four-day week. So we do four big days, but we only do four days, um, which is like the basis of my work-life balance. I don't think I would have any work-life balance if I worked a five-day week because I'm somebody who likes to keep extremely busy. Um, so yeah, I do my four days at work and then everything on those four days is strictly work. And then in my spare time, I'm very into health and fitness. So you'll, I'll be at the gym like six days a week. I'll go before work. Um, and then I also study architecture online at uni. So I use my three days to kind of smash out my architecture and then, you know, a little bit each day. And then I try to keep my social life quite busy as well because I think that's really important. But I definitely struggled with work-life balance previously. I feel like it's pretty good at the moment, but obviously being in the hospitality industry, um, you're going to have weird days off. You're not always going to have many days off. You just kind of need to, I don't know, I kind of jump at any opportunities I have socialising because you may as well take them if you can get them and, like, yeah, I don't know. I always just try to make an effort to be available as much as I can on my days off because I like to socialise a lot and see all my friends. So it works, but I definitely do keep busy. I don't really, I'm not really the kind of person to have a down day. <laughs> I'm so fascinated by this architecture, Saffron. Like, you know, you left school to start your apprenticeship. You know, you said school wasn't the place for you. What is it that took you back to study and why architecture? Um, God, who knows? I, I love houses, to be honest. So I bought my first house when I was 19. Wow. Yep. <laughs> and I just have a fascination with them. I just, it frustrates me when I see poorly designed houses, when I see poorly designed kitchens, like when I see poorly designed buildings, I get extremely frustrated by it. And I always, I don't know, 
I guess it's uh, criticised it a little bit because I just don't understand how people can produce these things. So I don't know. I think that a massive one is kitchens, to be honest. Like a poorly designed kitchen destroys the whole workflow. So I don't know. I wanted to study it, A, because I like to be learning things. I just love like I love studying things and learning more things and I thought it was just completely out of the norm of what I know. Um, and yeah, throws me out of my comfort zone a little bit. And yeah, I just like to, I don't know, I'd want to study architecture and see where it goes. I always think it's nice to have options. So yeah, I don't know if I will incorporate the two perhaps one day. Like I'd love to design kitchens, being able to have the inside of working in kitchens for quite a while, not super long, but for a little while, I feel like I have a good understanding of what makes a well-designed kitchen. Um, And yeah, it just, I don't know, it's just kind of another little like creative outlet, whereas food is one and I think architecture is another one. Yeah, it's amazing. So when you say you really like houses, like what's your, what sort of style do you love? Oh God, all sorts of different styles. <laughs> I'm very fresh into architecture. I'm only in my first year, so definitely not going to be using any technical terms because it'll be an embarrassment. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I'm intrigued by um, the way that people are making like passive houses and sustainable houses and how people can design houses to minimize so many things like to have like comfortable temperatures in them all the time and how just quickly poorly designed like kit homes that they put 20 of in the same place or hundreds of in the same place and they don't make any form of like adjustments based on you know one could be in a completely different angle to the other one and they just plonk the same kit home on there it frustrates me because I feel like such little changes can be made to make a house so much more efficient in like even just heating and cooling which then impacts our like our climate crisis because people are spending so much money trying to heat and cool their houses because like they end up in a kit home which I understand is an affordable option but you know if people designed more intelligently and designed to minimize the emissions that are burnt to I don't know cool and heat houses like it would make such a difference but they just don't do it well it is it's just it, you know yes it might be cheaper to buy a kit home but it's not expensive it's not cheap to have every, as the, the world around you as far as you can see flooded because of climate change exactly it's just we've got to make those connections don't we yeah people just kind of think about the short term I feel like not everyone I'm, I know there's great people out there but yeah I think that if I can um, help to make a difference. It would be nice. Yeah, amazing. And, you know, back to the kitchen design, can you just explain some of the differences it can make in your work life to have, well, let's say a poorly designed kitchen and a really brilliantly designed kitchen? What kind of difference can that make? Oh, I think it can make all sorts of differences. Um, It can be poorly designed in the fact that even just equipment's been allocated, like, in the wrong order. So maybe you have a cool room at the complete opposite end of a building and it takes the chefs, I don't know, an extra minute or so because they've got to walk out to this cool room that's being pushed away to the back because they decided to put some extra dining space in a certain spot when it wasn't necessarily supposed to be there. And just, 
I don't know, just like the efficiency in kitchens and the, the way that heat travels around kitchens and how um, just like workflow in kitchens. I don't know. I think that there's so many like there's so many little simple things that don't even get accounted for. Like, for example, where the bins go in kitchens, like they're often just shoved in a corner or up against a wall or something because there was somebody didn't leave a gap underneath a bench where it could slot in, which would save you floor space for people to not trip on things and stuff like that. Like, I just think there's so many little things that when people design kitchens, if they have never worked in them, they don't even think about them. Yeah, it's like makes me think of microaggressions. It's like they're little design microaggressions that make you feel really bad at the end of every day. <laughs> yeah, frustrated, definitely. But yeah, I think it, yeah, I'm sure there are people out there that have insight in working in kitchens and designing kitchens, but I think, um, yeah, I think there's always room for improvement in everything we do. Yeah, amazing. So, you know, it, your region is in the middle of a huge crisis and, you know, it's 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 going to take a long time to pull out of it, you know, in all kinds of different ways. So the impacts will be there for, for years. I mean, how do the next few months look for you? You know, how do you think it's going to look? How's it going to feel? What's it going to be like at the restaurant? Um, That's a great question. And I think that I guess I have, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Like there's so many ways that you can look at it. And I think that really only time will tell because we, as a restaurant, we want to provide a service. So people have, you know, it can be seen in so many different ways. We want to provide a service for people because that's what we do. And that's the industry that we're in, but we don't ever want to seem, I don't know, you wouldn't want, there's so many people who have lost absolutely everything. So I think that it's just a level of making sure that you're taking into consideration everything that is going on around us. And like, for example, for us to offer takeaway and dine-ins, because who knows, people might just want to step away from everything that's been going on in their life and just be able to sit down for a moment and try to enjoy, I don't know, a meal with their partner and just be able to just relax for an hour and try not to think about all the stuff that they have to deal with. And that's one way you could think about it, but also providing takeaway for people because people are very busy and, you know, maybe they don't have somewhere to cook at home, but they want to be at home and they want to have takeaways. So having those options there, I think like, I don't think that um, the industry in the Northern rivers is like the hospitality industry in the Northern rivers is going for any milestones of booming industries that, this point but I think just being able to help out where we can like we're cooking out of fleet at the moment and doing as much um just like donations food as we can for people cooking hot meals and cooking breakfasts and all kinds of things to provide for people and donate and do as much of that as we can but also providing the services for people if they do want to come in and dine I think is also important and at the end of the day yeah, I mean, this is so many industries have been impacted by this, but also so many people rely on these industries. Like there are so many small businesses around that at the end of the day, it's just like it's a family that owns it and that's their income or whatever it is. Like, uh, yeah, like the businesses do have to go on. Yeah, wow. So well said, Saffron. Really just 
Yeah, super impressed and just it, I can feel the magnitude of it, but also, you know, the depth of thought and also the care for community that's obviously in everything that you do. Um, yeah, really love it. I, I really wish you all the best. It's been so fantastic to chat to you. Is there anything else that you would like to say? Um, no, I think that's about it. I just think it's important. I mean, everybody, whether you're far away from the Northern Rivers and you know people here or whether you're here, I think it's just important to make sure that everybody is supported. There's things people can do from afar and there's things people can do who are he- uh, that are here and just making sure that you're there for everyone around you because it's definitely a very tough time and people have a lot of emotional stress on them. So, yeah, check on your mates and check on everyone and just be there for people and support how you can. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all this with us today, Saffron. It's really been a pleasure and a privilege to chat to you. Thank you. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is